Welcome, and thank you for joining the Hickory Grove Sunday Sermon Podcast. I am Michael McEwen, and I pastor Hickory Grove Baptist Church in Trenton, Tennessee. And for the past month and a half, we've been journeying through the book of Ecclesiastes, trying to discover what it means to follow Christ, our wisdom in the flesh, and to live out his wise ways. In this particular sermon, I examine the relationship between dancing and worship. Using a little bit of a hook into the sermon, I begin with examining Wren McCormick in Footloose. And I try to bring out how there's this relationship, in fact, three relationships between dancing and worship. First, dancing requires your entire body. And likewise, so does worship. Also, dancing is a mutual encounter between two or more bodies. And likewise, so is worship. And lastly, I bring out how dancing happens both inside and outside of buildings. And of course, so does worship. So the sermon title for this particular sermon is Kick Off Your Sunday Shoes, A Time to Dance. I hope you enjoy as we continue to understand the relationships between our union with Christ and the call to live winsomely and wisely for and in the world. Spot, if you would please stand with me as we read Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 4. May you hear Christ speak this morning. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Let us pray. Father, we've gathered this morning to adore you. We've come with everything we are. Broken hearts, doubtful minds, hopeful ears, daring consciences, and maybe even angry thoughts. So may you meet with us, O Lord, that you might restore us through the preaching of your word, give sight to our muddied eyes, and make our hearts grow to resemble yours. In your Son's name we offer this prayer. Amen. You may be seated. This morning's sermon is titled, Kick Off Your Sunday Shoes, A Time to Dance. And at that point, you probably begin hearing the song of Footloose at that point. We'll get to that here in a minute. But if I can bring you back about 30-something years to Footloose, the 1984, it was remade in 2011, but the 1984 version of Footloose, it features this main character named Wren McCormick younger teenager who journeys from Chicago to a small Midwestern town. And this town is mourning the loss of several teenagers in a car wreck after a long night of dancing. Wren, who is this sensational dancer himself, enters the city and its newly established law, no dancing. We find out that Reverend Shaw Moore 
the father of one of the teenagers who was killed in that car wreck, is one of the backers of this new law of no dancing. And so we already feel this tension between Wren McCormick and Reverend Shaw Moore. And to make things more tense, Wren wants to date Reverend Moore's daughter, Ariel. Footloose is one of numerous films in the 80s that highlighted three themes, youth, dancing, and rebellion. They're all over the place. And in fact, when I was doing a little bit of research for this sermon, I typed in 80s dancing movies. There were many that popped up. But three, or sorry, many that revolved around those themes of youth, dancing, and rebellion. Here are they. Well, first, Footloose, Dirty Dancing, Flashdance, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, Staying Alive, now you have that song in your head, Urban Cowboy, Hairspray, and Grease 2. Grease 1 was released in 78, Grease 2 in 82, but they're related of youth dancing and rebellion. And so what we find is that each of these films, we have teenagers who push social and moral boundaries through dancing. And if I can read you just a few lyrics from Kenny Loggins' song, Footloose, that was affiliated and connected to the film itself, pay attention to the words that were sung. Been working so hard, I've punched my card. Eight hours for what? Oh, tell me what I got. I've got this feeling that times are holding me down. I'll hit the ceiling or else I'll tear up this town. I'm not going to sing it for you. Sorry. <laughs> now I'm going to cut loose, foot loose. Kick off your Sunday shoes. Please, Luis, pull me off of my knees. Jack, get back. Come on before we crack. Lose your blues, everybody. Cut foot loose. Have you ever thought about what that word means, foot loose? Some of you might have known. I didn't actually even know. I just knew it was the film title. But it was an expression that means able to travel freely and do as one pleases without responsibility. Free to do what one pleases uh, to oneself or feel like whatever you want to do. And so you have this great scene at the end of the film of Footloose. It comes at the very end when you have this face-to-face -face encounter between Wren McCormick and the Reverend Shaw Moore. And what Wren is questioning is the fairness of the no-dancing law. And so you have this monologue, this speech that he gives to the Reverend, and he says this, From the oldest of times, people dance for a number of reasons. They danced in prayer or so that their crops would be plentiful and their hunt would be good. And they danced to stay physically fit and show their community spirit. And they danced to celebrate. And that, that is the dancing that we're talking about. Aren't we told in Psalm 149, Praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song. Let them praise his name in the dance. It was King David, King David, who had read... Uh, sorry, who we read about in Samuel. And what did David do? What did David do? Well, he danced before the Lord with all his might, leaping, leaping and dancing before the Lord. Leaping and dancing. Ecclesiastes assures us that there's a time for every purpose under heaven. 
a time to laugh and a time to weep, a time to mourn, and there is a time to dance. And there was a time for this law, but not anymore. See, this is our time to dance. It is our way of, of celebrating life. It's the way it was in the beginning. It's the way it's always been. It's the way it, it should be now. Now, let me be extremely clear as it relates to Ren McCormick's speech, not suggesting that we begin standing up and dancing in the middle of the aisles. If it happens, I'm all right with it. I'm not going to stop it. Neither am I suggesting that we take Ren McCormick's teenage free-spirited attitude in pushing back against certain boundaries. Not what I'm suggesting. Here are my main points that I want us to chase after and to discover today. I want us to look at the relationship between dancing and worship. The relationship between those, dancing and worship. There's much to be said because it happens all across Scripture, but we'll deal with a few examples. And here are the points I want to chase. First, dancing, the act of dancing itself, is an invitation of a mutual movement together. That's what dancing is. Now you might think, well, there's plenty of dances where you don't have a mutual movement. I'm talking about a specific type of dancing, a mutual movement together. Think of the waltz or the tango, a mutual movement together. Likewise, worship is God's invitation to a divine human movement together. Secondly, dancing is a full body activity. It requires every bit of who we are. Worship also is a full body activity. Third, dancing is a graceful performance. And you got it. Worship is a graceful performance. When I speak of worship, I don't mean only something that happens on Sundays or only dealing with music or the choice of music. Worship is a whole body response to the grace and mercy of the Father and the Son and performed in the Spirit. Worship is a way of life, church. That's what we see throughout the Scriptures. It's not something that just happened on the Sabbath day for the Israelites or on Sunday, the day of resurrection for the Christians, in which that's only when it happened. It was a way of life for the church and for the people of God. And Christian worship is living out the ways of Jesus every single day. So let's begin by looking at some words that we find in the Bible as it relates to worship. One of the first ones is a Hebrew word, chava. It means our English word is worship. So when you see this word worship, it probably is that root word in Hebrew. And it means this, to prostrate or bow down. What I want you to hear is this physical activity of the body bowing down. There's a movement of moving the body down in order to give praise to the one who is above. Or even the word praise, our word in English, you find it across the Old and New Testament, meaning to kneel in order to bless. The physical activity of the body moving down, kneeling, going down in order to praise the one who is above. 
or even sometimes praise in its original meaning could mean to confess with outstretched hands. We see this, we might have friends of ours in the charismatic tradition where they raise their hands in worship. This is rooted in the scriptures, this praise of moving the hands up towards the one who is worthy to be praised. So let's look at a few examples in the Old Testament in which there is this worship through dance. First one is Exodus 15. And we need to know the, ex uh, the, the context of Exodus 15. Here you have in early on in Exodus 1, 2, and 3, the people of Israel are being burdened with slavery and oppression by Pharaoh. And then you have the people crying out, trying to figure out, who will this Messiah be, this Savior who will come and give us rest? And then you have the calling out of Moses in Exodus 3.14, in which Yahweh, God, speaks to Moses and he says, I am going to make you a Messiah, a Savior for the people who are hurting or in pain or in slavery under this leader. And it's that rest of the story in which Moses shows up time and time again before Pharaoh and he delivers these, these promises of what God is going to do about delivering his people out. And so you carry that story forward and finally you get it. Exodus 15, the people of Israel have moved out of the Red Sea and they're on the other side of the land. They can see where they were in slavery, but now that they can see that they're in a land of freedom. And here is what is recorded. Exodus 15. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed great, great, uh, gloriously. The horse and his rider has been thrown into the sea. What we have here is song, dance, and celebration because of the redemption of Yahweh, of God working to overthrow the powers of oppression. Or maybe we could go to 2 Samuel 6 in the Ark of the Covenant story. If you know anything about 2 Samuel 6, this is picking up with the story of uh, David who has recently become king. And the Philistines are now in power. The Philistines have killed his best friend, Jonathan, and he's received news of that in 2 Samuel 1. David and his army marches in, kills the Philistines, and then they take back the Ark of the Covenant. This covenant was a symbol of God's presence with his people. So keep that in mind as I read this passage. And it was told, King David... The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox 
and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Here also we have song, dance, celebration happening because God has overthrown another country, Philistine, through a savior character named David. And it doesn't stop there as it relates to song, dance, and celebration over God's redemption for his people. Early on in the early church from the early 120s to about 500, you have many writers talking about the place for dance, the time for dance in the church. Lucian of Samosota wrote this, Dance is not merely a pleasure, it is an act good for the soul. If you have children, you will quickly realize that. Clement of Alexandria, shortly after Lucian of Samosota, wrote this, This is the mountain beloved of God, and there revel on it. Daughters of God, the fair lambs who celebrate the holy rites of the word, raising a sober choral dance. You have here women dancing over the fact that the word has been brought in to be preached. Or Ambrose, a couple hundred years after Clement, requested that persons be baptized in the font, but they were to come down dancing because they were rejoicing over the redemption that had been brought through Christ. Or Augustine, shortly after Ambrose, wrote, He who dances obeys. In our case, dancing means changing the manner of our life. When God calls the tune, he hearkens and begins to dance. What each of these authors is bringing to mind is how we are to celebrate with our bodies the redemption of God. How we are to celebrate with our bodies His redemption. And if we can fast forward to the 20th century, a very notable voice that we've all heard before, C.S. Lewis wrote, In Christianity, God is not a static thing, but a dynamic, pulsating activity of life. A life almost a kind of drama. Almost, if you will not think me irrelevant, a kind of dance. Lewis had in mind who God was, this Father, this Son, and this Spirit, and that there was this activity between each of them in which they were engaging one another, serving one another, yet still bonded together as God. And this activity, we tend to think of God as just this being who is static, as Lewis says. He's just there. But what if he's vibrant? What if he's actively engaging in our everyday lives and calling us, inviting us to celebrate his life and his redemption? You can look at Judaism, Islam, and other religions that celebrate the one person and one God. But there's something unique to the confession of the Christian faith. There's this one God, but three persons. The Father, Son, and Spirit each in their unique person seeking to serve one another and glorifying one another in the Godhead. You have this love that binds them together in the Godhead and they are serving one another, trying to adore one another 
in the Godhead. The Father seeks to love and enjoy and adore His Son. And the Son seeks to love and enjoy and adore the Father. And the Spirit seeks to love and enjoy and adore the Father and the Son. Here's what I want us to get. I know that's difficult to think about the Trinity. But here's what I want us to take away from that. It's a mutual harmonious dance between them. Mutual harmonious dance. So what role does the church play in this? Simply put, he has created humans not to get joy, but to give love, joy, and adoration. As one of my favorite writers puts it, he says, He must have created us to invite us into a dance. To say, if you glorify me, if you center your entire life on me, if you find me beautiful for who I am in myself, then you will step into a dance. Which is to say, this is what you were made for. You were made not just to believe in me, not to be spiritual in some general way, not just to pray and get some sort of bit of inspiration when things are tough. You are made to center everything in your life on me, to think of everything in terms of your relationship to me, to serve me unconditionally. That's where you'll find your joy. That's what the dance is about. Scriptures invite us into this mutual, harmonious dance with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. As I said earlier, like dance, worship is a whole body activity. It's a way of life. Something that requires that we, one, understand that God has invited us to live the life that He has lived. And He has invited us to live out that life that He has lived. So we are to bring our entire bodies, muscles, eyes, tendons, noses, brains, lungs, ears, fingers, tongues, feet, hearts, backs, and elbows, every bit of who we are into his life as he mutually engages us. So once it comes to this in scripture, you find it Paul writing to the Roman church. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Remember what I said a few minutes ago, that after the people had gone from one side of the Red Sea to the other, they danced in response to God's celebration. In 2 Samuel 6, also pointed out that after bringing home the Ark of the Covenant from the Philistines, David dances in response to God's provision and his help. So let me clarify. Worship is not merely a position or posture of the heart. It's not merely that. Yet, the attitudes and postures of our hearts are very important to our worship. Worship is not merely what happens within the walls of the church on a Sunday. Yet, worship does happen and take place here on these Sundays in this place. Worship is not merely beliefs or right thoughts about God. Yet, worship does include beliefs and right thoughts about Him. Here's my point. Worship is an everyday way of life and participates in the person and work 
of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. What I've seen time and time again is that we think of worship in a very thin, flat way. Very small. When Scripture actually gives us a bigger view of what worship is. Very robust and thick understanding of worship. According to scriptures, it's much bigger than music on Sundays, even though I'm thankful for your music on Sundays. It's lovely. Once it comes to worship, maybe we do need to kick off our Sunday shoes, church. Now, I'm not suggesting let's leave here and start dancing, but have a different view on what worship looks like. Because worship begins and it happens in our favorite sneakers, in our beat-up work boots, our high heels, and even our bare feet. It happens across every walk that we have in our life. But we have to look and see and really reflect on what am I doing in my work boots? And how is that a reflection for my worship before Christ? With my bare feet. Uh, we usually play with our kids in the front yard and we don't have shoes on at the time, so we're in our bare feet running across the grass with the kids, making sure that everybody's safe, staying out of the cul-de-sac, making sure that nobody steps on rocks, that even in those times of joy of playing with kids in a front yard bare feet, maybe this too can be an act of worship before Christ our King. That's the hope that I have that we hear this morning. I think that's the hope that Christ has for us in presenting a big view of what worship looks like. It doesn't take place just in our Sunday shoes. 